Hello, boys and ghouls. And thank you for joining us for our 39th episode, dedicated to the original 1985 vampire film, Fright Night. So, listen in as we go step by step through this fun, fanged, satisfyingly scary movie that bids you welcome to Fright Night. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill you. The so Have you ever talked to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Roll the third switch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! Into. Indeed. I also see, are those VHS tapes of Dark Shadows? Yes. Okay. Uh, in, in case we ever have, th- this is how far ahead I plan. In case we ever have an event and I need uh, giveaways. Wow. That's, that's impressive. That's, yeah. Um, they were at the library for 50 cents each. Nice. So, there you go. All right. Hey, Kat. Hey, Marshall. Uh, do you have any spooky gab? I don't think I've done much that's spooky except for one big kind of spooky thing. Which is? Which is, I set my wedding date. Go on. And we'll be getting married on Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. Yeah, I think that's pretty fun. It was a moment where I was touring the venue with Matthew and Ricky and we were hearing, you know, the initial date I had sort of like figured Alec and I talked about. And we're like, okay, we'll do November 7th. But that date wasn't available at that venue. And she said, but we do have the 14th or or Friday the 13th. And I was like, (gasps) sharp intake of breath. Now, did you get any kind of deal for Friday the 13th? Because like other people don't want it? No, got a deal for it being a Friday because that's cheaper than a Saturday. But nothing for people not wanting it on the 13th. In fact, the woman... That surprises me. Well, what I find interesting is when I reacted strongly, I don't know if she knew that it was excitement at first, because she said, I always have really great Friday the 13th weddings. They're always the best. And I don't know if that's the truth or if she, it's a line that She's she to trained herself it. to give because people are afraid of it. Mm. I want to be inclined toward the latter. I want to feel like she was trying to put me on because most people are just freaked out by that. But anyway, it ended up working out. And whenever people ask me when I'm getting married, I, I never say November 13th. I always say Friday the 13th of November. <laughs> Just to get the reaction. And most people find it highly amusing. And people who know me in even a cursory way are like, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. So that, I guess that's my big bets. It's, it's making me very happy every time I think about it. Positively glowing. Yeah. I attended a, it was called a half a ween party. Really? It was a, <laughs> right? That could have been a really different kind of party. <laughs> well, it was, I didn't check a calendar, but she, um, the girl who threw it was like, it's halfway to Halloween and it was her birthday. And that's 
what she wanted to do. So yeah. she pulled out all of her Halloween decorations and costumes for herself and had everybody show up in costume as if it was Halloween when really it was late May. That's fun. Uh, half a Although that doesn't make sense because my half birthday is at the end of April. Was it April or was it? I, I don't think they're sticking to the hard science oh, okay. of half a ween. All right. You can also call it. I got the impression it. she was, and I was like, she's mistaken. Because it would have been, I guess, May 1st, technically. It's more, more of a play on words. Like that. Fair enough. Yeah. And that's when... Clearly, I can't take things lightly surrounding Halloween. When it comes to I'm Halloween. Like, um, technically, it's not... But It's May 1st. Yeah. <laughs> take that yeah. with your birthday. Uh, nerd. Um... At a Halloween celebration, let me say that people don't really give it their all. Of course not. I, which I is why I don't think I'd want to go to a Halloween celebration. Well, there were plenty of nice costumes. She's friends with cosplayers, which also explains the replica Game of Thrones throne in her garage. Oh, that's the picture I saw of you. That's why I was wearing a bloody shirt with a um, the St. Pauli girl on my lap. That was a birthday girl, Elena. Got it. But yeah, people don't really dig deep for those, but... People, you know, they buy costumes and they wear them once and then someone has a Halloween party and you're like, oh, great. Yeah. I can wear this uh, again. I get that getting dressed up is fun, but, uh, but you know me. So I was it's like, sacred. I had a bloody shirt, wore that with a like suit. Like you do. You always have like a bloody do. shirt on hand. Dug into my, uh, box of masks, pulled out a nice, uh, skull one. There you go. They're like, what are you supposed to be? Creepy guy. Have you noticed? If you're going to invite anyone to a costume party, you could do much worse than Marshall Hicks. Right? Uh, I bring it. And what I brought was inspired by the cartoon Gravity Falls, which has a Summerween episode. Oh. Because the whole show takes place like over one summer, but they wanted to have a Halloween episode, so they decided, well, in this town, we celebrate Summerween. It's basically the same thing, but instead of jack-o'-lanterns, they have jack-o'-melons. That explains a lot. Yeah. So to this Halloween party, I carved out a watermelon and brought it over, and it was a hit. Nice work. It was a real hit. I'll bet. And then I couldn't just tell you about it here for our gab without actually presenting you with one. So, folks, uh, when Kat came over to my place tonight to record, she was greeted by a jack-o'-melon. Also known as a watermelon or lantern. That's how I phrased it when I just put a picture up on the internet. Yes, my watermelon or lantern, which, unlike a pumpkin, water tends to gather at the bottom pretty regularly. Uh-huh. So uh, an actual candle will not serve. So I, I put a um, a little flashlight in there. For the Halloween party, I put a glow stick in, and that, that worked pretty well. What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Mom, I didn't have a nightmare. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy. I know that, but look, Lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect its secret.
If you love being scared, this could be the night of your life. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Fright Night is a movie that came out in 1985. It is a vampire film that uh, says, what if a vampire moved next door to you? And yeah. it's been remade and remade and sequelized and then remade in India. As Tom Holland describes it a lot of times, it's a boy who cried wolf story. It is, yeah. Of a kid being convinced his neighbor is a vampire and no one believing him at first. But yes, our um, our listener Mikey said, ask Marshall to do his best Jerry Dandridge impression and say, welcome to Fright Night. Welcome to Fright Night. Pause, pause, pause. For real. Oh, nice. Uh, that was really satisfying. Good job. Yeah, I, I rolled the R. Now, I didn't grow up on Fright Night. You I were, did. You, I know you did. I don't remember your reaction when you found out that I hadn't grown up on it, or if you really had one. But I, I did the math. Probably we strong. have an age difference. But I grew up on The Lost Boys, and that came out a mere three years after Fright Night. So it's just one of those movies that it just didn't happen for me. In childhood. I didn't come across it. I didn't sure. see it. You it probably don't remember happen. Live Aid either. I do. I mean, I don't remember it in real time, but I know what that is. It was my scope of understanding. But Fright Night just wasn't. So, in 2011, or was it well before that that we watched the original together? Or did we watch the original purely in anticipation of the remake? We watched the original just to watch it. Just because I realized I could be your guide through 1980s horror. And then all we would do is just go over one or the other's apartment and watch a horror movie. This is before Boys and Ghouls. Well, well before Boys and yeah. Ghouls. Almost as a field trip, we went to see the remake of Fright Night. We did. And by then, we had already watched the original mm -hmm. together. Okay. And I had shown you a few weeks before Deadly Friend. Mm -hmm. That's when we realized they were filmed on, on the same studio street. Yep. Like, the houses were all the same, and, like, the church was at the end of the street. And it was clearly a cul-de-sac, even though, like, cars would, like, come from down the street. Like they were arriving from somewhere right, else right. when really the cars are always already in motion <laughs> and you can like hear them coming, but you can't see them coming right. because they had nowhere to come from. You know what else filmed on that street shortly before they started filming Fright Night? Something Wicked This Way Comes. Yeah, which is another movie you showed me for the first time. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a perfect movie for us to cover because we're all about what's spooky and classic and heartwarming and scary and... And funny. All, and funny. Clever, hip, scary. <laughs> what are you talking about? I have a vampire living next door to me, and he's going to kill me if I don't protect myself. <laughs> what? Come on, Evil, I haven't got time to explain. Just tell me what to do to protect myself. There is a scene that just straight up lays out vampire rules. It's like getting a primer mm -hmm. on vampires, many of which would then translate to the Lost Boys. As far as, you know, garlic crosses, those are the obvious. Sunlight's the obvious. Inviting one into your home, that was its introduction to me. When Evil Eddie says, like, just don't invite him into your home. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can sleep so much better now. I don't remember when I learned that stuff for the first time. It was probably a combination of the Lost Boys and um, the Buffy Vampire Slayer movie. Well, like most things, you learn just a little at a time, and then it accumulates. But in Fright Night, they sit you down, and Evil Eddie talks right to you. I was re-listening to our Lost Boys episode, and you mentioned the whole idea of you have to really believe in, like, a cross yes. for it to work. And that's something that's explicitly outlined in, in Very much. Movie. And one of the few vampire things I'd seen before that, besides, like, Count Chocula, I happened upon the ending of a Hammer horror film when I was quite young. 
and I've seen it since, but I can't remember which one it was. Here comes the bride, or should I say brides? Peter Cushing stars in the Hammer Horror classic, Brides of Dracula. The movie I saw was Brides of Dracula, Hammer Horror, with Peter Cushing. He was playing Van Helsing, and at the end of Brides of Dracula, there's a windmill. And it's windmill, what do you call them? The, uh, the arms, I guess? The I don't arms? Know what you call them spokes? Right. Of, of the windmill are motionless, but then Van Helsing, like, jumps on it and turns it into the form of a cross <gasps> whose shadow falls across the vampire and he's like no and then he dies from that that's his way of killing the vampire which begged the question for me well if that works then when the windmill is is running and circling it's forming a cross about every you know couple of seconds if a vampire walks past one then is he like Ooh, oh <laughs> ah, son of a Right. Mm. The answer is no, not according to the evil Eddie rules, which is saying you have to have faith in the cross. Right. If it's just a cross sitting on the ground or up in a windmill and no one is wielding it and no one who has faith is wielding it, then it's ineffective. But because Van Helsing believed it was a cross. And put his faith into powerful. that cross. Yeah. That's how it worked. Right. So like, oh, that, that explains so much. Yeah. And then subsequent vampire films almost all seem to fall within... Uh, later when I went to the theater to see Bram Stoker's Dracula and he turns into a wolf. It's like, well, that's been covered already from when Evil Eddie turns into a wolf. Mm -hmm. Afraid I'd never come over without being invited first. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're quite right. The main vampire in this is a guy named Jerry, Jerry Dandridge, who moves next door to Charlie. And uh, Charlie's our hero. Mm -hmm. So we meet Charlie making out on the floor. Mm. And that seems to be his arc, by the way, because at the end, he makes it from the floor to the bed. Ah, uh, yeah. Nothing wrong with the bed. Bed seems fine. But for whatever reason, the floor. I've made out with people on the floor. It's a good spot for making out. There's a perfectly good bed right there. Part of which he uses to create his makeout nest. <laughs> but rather than go all the way, he becomes distracted when he looks outside and sees two guys carrying a coffin into their house. He's like, there's two guys with a coffin. And his girlfriend, Amy. Who he's just gotten all buttered up. Yeah, ready. she's all she's buttered up. She's ready to go. She's ready to lose her virginity. She has misgivings because she looks over at the TV and sees a clip from a... Turns out the movie was Premature Burial. Which is on the TV being hosted by horror host Peter Vincent. She's like... And they're on the moors, right? Amy, I'm serious. So am I. And the two of them, for the rest of the movie, never really seem to get on the same page at the same time. Mm -hmm. Not until this whole vampire next door thing is all wrapped up. I do want to mention that this movie was an original script by Tom Holland. I listened to an interview with him where he was describing the climate in which he was able to make Fright Night. And he was talking about this kind of sweet spot time where there was a premium on original scripts. And that shortly after that time period, that was no longer the climate. But in that time, you know, doing Child's Play and doing Fright Night, I mean, it was beautiful. And I guess the story on the set was that the studio was concentrating on some other movie. Oh, it was... Two other movies. It, well, there was John Travolta and Jamie Lee Curtis movie. Perfect. Which, is that the one with the hilarious workout scene in it that I've seen online? Where yes. they're doing aerobics? Okay. So, they were barely on set... For Fright Night. They just let Tom Holland do his thing. Which I love. And as much as this is an effective horror movie, 
It's also a horror movie for fans of horror movies. Confirmed ghost story and horror film addict. I think somewhere between conception and execution, Charlie's being a horror fan got tamped down a bit. Mm. It's like he likes to watch Peter Vincent. And she even goes like, Peter Vincent, it's your favorite. Also, I've been reading the novelization. Yes, you have. Lent to me by uh, Mr. Casey Lauer. Thank you, Casey. And in that, that really ups his like being a horror movie fan. But... In execution, if he's such a horror movie fan, why does he need Evil Ed? Why wouldn't he know a lot of the vampire stuff? Exactly. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't play too heavily. So uh, in the final product, he's a moderate horror fan. He's not as big a horror fan as the logline for the film would lead you to believe, which is like, horror fan has neighbors who are vampires and no one believes them. Now it's just more of like, average teen has vampire neighbors. That's a good point, because the whole Boy Who Cried Wolf analogy that I was making that Tom Holland describes the movie as makes more sense if the kid is more of a horror fan. If he was someone who was known for really being into spooky stuff, so they would be like, ah, your imagination's just getting away from you. You always watch this spooky stuff. And You're always watching things. Fright Night with Peter Vincent. Yeah, exactly. Turns out, though, you don't really need to be a fan of vampires to be called crazy if you start saying there's vampires. Of course. It's kind of unnecessary. <laughs> I saw him in that room last night and he had fangs and he bit her on the neck. For heaven's sake, come on. It may be odd that they have a coffin in the house, these new two new neighbors. And it may be odd that one of them never seems to come around during the day. But being a teenage boy, he really pays attention when a hottie goes next door and he remembers that face when he sees it on the news the next day oh boy. as being found decapitated. And then he starts doing a little peeping. And this movie also set me up for a few years later when I would watch Rear Window mm. as he's, um, there's a murder next door. Well, that was not unintentional. Nope. Nope. That was intentional. Mm -hmm. And this time he gets to see some boobs. Yeah, and he does. I as, forgot about that. As do we, the audience. Yes. And he sees that his, uh, his neighbor's got... His neighbor, who likes to uh, take care of things next to an open window, by the way. Maybe he's just more accustomed to living out in a more rural area. Not really used to city living. Sure. He sees him uh, about to bite the girl. And then he, he stops and he's like, better draw this shade with my long pointed fingernails. And then, is there a scream then? I think long fingernails drawing down the shades is enough. That's enough to call the cops. It. Yeah. And he does call the cops, but once he actually says vampire, and it's like, what? Don't you call the cops again? So now he can't. And you know, he tries to explain to his girlfriend. Uh, she just puts a burger in his face for mm. his troubles. Nobody wants to see vampire killers anymore, or vampires either. Apparently all they want are demented madmen running around in ski masks, hacking up young virgins. So without options, he then goes to the self-proclaimed vampire expert, Peter Vincent. He's the fearless vampire killer. Yeah. That's his little catchphrase. His moniker. In their heyday, every city had their own horror host. And this city's, which is sort of like a Anytown USA. I never really oh, says sure. where they are. Yeah. In Anytown USA, the town of Fright Night, which is uh, supposed to be kind of a small town, but with a booming club scene. <laughs> it makes no sense. And where does Amanda Beers live that when he goes to Walker Home goes from a street on the Disney lot to just what was filmed in downtown LA. Right. And it's like, oh, well, she has to go home past this endless loading dock. Right. <laughs> at night. Yeah. 
Is um, there a scenario where she like walks that every day? Right. Also, what happened to her motorcycle? She pulls up in this brown 80s, not quite scooter, not You've quite motorcycle. You've seen this movie a lot more times than I have. Well, this so time I took there notes. There are things occurring to you that did not occur to me. Oh, so Peter Vincent is the local horror host. Yeah. And he presents the movies presumably once a week or more as a script needed. Horror hosts were never really set up like him. Usually it was like the weatherman or someone who worked at the station could make a few Slapped extra bucks. On a widow's peak and yeah. a cape and was, now it's time for the Friday night movie. Exactly. Yeah. Rarely or never was it ever actually someone who had been in horror movies, mm-hmm. then showing their own movies. More than that, it's pretty rare to have a star who is playing himself in these horror movies. He was Peter Vincent playing Peter Vincent, the vampire killer. And, oh, right? yeah, I see what you're saying. The only person I can think of is Santo, the Mexican masked wrestler who, as himself, as Santo, he will then fight the vampire women or the Aztec mummies or the list goes on and on. Go El Santo, go El Santo, go El Santo, go. So this exact blend of horror icon never quite existed in the real world. Santo never went on TV to present his own movies in a small town. But how sad would it have been if he had? It does make it extra sad. Exactly, which is one of the many reasons why this movie is so charming, is you you really have some sympathetic characters that you see their situation and you feel for them, and you're kind of sad for them. (laughs) Yeah, they really start Peter Vincent out on the bottom so he can really rise to the top by the end. Yeah. And that's where we find him. He just got fired from his job. Oh, man. He's literally carrying his box of stuff to his car. Yeah. But even the actor who only plays Vampire Killer doesn't believe him. Right. And it isn't until girlfriend Amy and best friend or... And they get into this more in the remake. Guy he's been ignoring lately because he's been dating a girl. Yeah. That Which friend. is a thing that happens. All the time. A lot for yeah. teens, for sure. And adults, for that matter. <laughs> yeah. In the in the remake, they really drive that point home. They do. It's a different friendship dynamic there. Uh, you remember a fruitcake kid named Charlie Brewster? He said he came to see you. No. He's the one that believes a vampire's living next door to him? Oh, yes. You know, he is insane. So uh, Amy and Evil Ed go to Peter Vincent and this time just offer to pay him. Because he's yeah. also been evicted now and he's lost his job and... He hasn't been in a movie in years. And- but they're offering to pay him not because they believe in that the neighbor is a vampire, but no. because they believe in his ability to help Charlie get past this weird delusion he's having. So yeah. they want to pay Peter Vincent to help convince Charlie that there's no such thing as vampires. And they're like, who better to do it? We know he'll listen to you. Please help us. And he says no until they offer to pay him. Yeah. So to stop Charlie from killing his neighbor... Exactly. Uh, they, <laughs> yeah, he's he's ready to commit murder. Yeah, and, and they say to him, "Please don't do anything." Until they they call upon murder. local washed-up ham, Peter Vincent, to uh, come and convince him he's not a vampire. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the vampire, shall we? For a bit. That's Chris Sarandon. Uh, he was also uh, Prince Humperdinck. I've got my country's 500th anniversary to plan, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder, and Gilda to frame for it. I'm swamped. Yeah, he Notably was. to me. To me as well. And the speaking voice of Jack Skellington. They're thanking us for doing such a good job. Danny Elfman did the singing, but it was Chris Sarandon doing the doing the talking. And Chris Sarandon is so 
very good in this movie. Yeah. So great. Perfect, one might say. God, he's neat. So my favorite scene, uh, which is also the scene with all the characters in one place at one time, Chris Sarandon is playing a vampire who's pretending to be a human who's goofing about being a vampire. Right. And, and that's when you get, you know, he's meeting Peter Vincent and he's like, oh, I've seen all of your films. I found them very amusing. Uh-huh. Right. And he did, but that's like the best he can do in his persona. Right. Also, he like kisses Amy's hand and he's like, Isn't that what vampires are supposed to do, Charlie? <laughs> We're like, having a good time joking about this. Yes. Oh, well, <laughs> it's fun to have fun. Let me drink some holy water. And they've worked out beforehand with Jerry we would, what they'll yeah. do to prove to him. He's like, I'm going to bring you some water. We're going to say it's holy water. It's holy water. It's not holy water. Just drink it. Then we can all move forward. And you can imagine that Jerry is a little apprehensive. Yeah. He's like, what in case someone pulls water? a switch on him, right? He's just going to drink holy water. And what, what's his motivation? Why doesn't he just murder everybody? It's a little too close to home. He's setting up a a nice little base of operations. He's setting up a house. If he kills his next door neighbor, that might bring heat on him. Especially after that neighbor already accused him to the police. Right. But maybe he doesn't have to kill the neighbor kid after all. If Peter Vincent can come in and convince him that he was crazy the whole time and made the whole thing up in his head. And it almost works. It goes according to plan until... Peter Vincent uses one of his old movie props, a cigarette case with a mirror in it, and sees that Jerry casts no reflection. Drops it. A little shards on the floor. He hightails it out of there. And Jerry, like, steps on the mirror. And you're like, oh no! He knows! And then there's no more messing around. It's time for Jerry to... Well, he wants to smite his foes, yeah. but at the same time, Amy, who up till now primarily wears, what do you call those, jumpers? Yeah. Okay, they gave her character somewhere to go as well, which is sexier. Yeah, they did. Because since she looks like, oh, that's what it's preparing me for. Uh, the idea in, like, traditional Bram Stoker Dracula that Nina is a reincarnation of an old love of, uh-huh. uh, of Dracula's. I got prepped for that when in Fright Night, he has a painting where the woman in the painting looks just like uh, Amy. So I guess Jerry's going, she'll do. She really looks like her. Yes, she I does. will make her mine. She will be mine. Oh, yes. She will be mine. So <laughs> during the unnecessarily creepy walk home through the blighted urban landscape <laughs> that goes from uh, Billy's idyllic street... Which has a church on it. They tried to make the church look like a school because it felt weird that someone who could die from holy water would live so close to a church. So they put a swing set in front of it, but it is clearly a church. Anyways, Jerry follows him. Evil Ed splits off on his own down an alley. He gets Evil Ed in a um, pretty good scene. He convinces him. He's got this great speech about, like, no one will uh, make fun of you anymore. Just take my hand. It makes me so sad when Jerry is saying to him, like, I know you're different. And Ed is kind of crying and it's And instead of just jumping on his neck, he has him come to him. Yeah. (laughs) And this is a good example of why the fans love this movie. And so much of that is because it's got heart. These are characters you care about. That scene is so effective and... 
horror movies are for them to be good so much is dependent upon us caring we have to care or else the stakes aren't high we're not worried about what's going to happen to these people and this movie all i'm saying it does it very well you know william ragsdale is so good he's so good as charlie everyone's great the mom in this movie she i wrote down the line what about your nightmare do you want a valium <laughs> she's so funny she's priceless but anyway we care. We care a lot. Also, watching Eddie's decision to go with the vampire yeah. makes it more potent when Eddie meets his end. Just a few hours later. He gets a like three hours as a vampire, and it really doesn't work out for him. No. Jerry follows them into a nightclub which is a lot more of a happening place for small-town USA than you really thought that town could really support, mm -hmm. given what we were led to believe right. about where they live. But all right. The club of which they managed to not give some kind of a cute name. Like, Peter Vincent is a combination of uh, Cushing. Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. The novelization, <laughs> every time they mention a street or, like, a hardware store, it's all... It's a reference. Christopher L... Cushing High. Christopher wow. Lee and Peter Cushing. That's the name of the high school. Wow. Carradine Hardware, after John Carradine. Rathbone Avenue, from Basil, Basil Rathbone. Rathbone. I had to look up Cameron Mitchell Drive. He's been in some stuff. Mm. And Hammer Memorial Hospital. Wow. Yeah, the novelization the really goes there. I'm just trying to think of... <laughs> no, I'm trying to think of like, like what the club could have been called. Mm. Um... Harkers or something, you know, like oh, like Jonathan Harker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're at this club called Harkers. Yeah, <laughs> like in Terminator, she just happened to go to Tech Noir. Mm hmm. So they're in the club, and this is when uh, Jerry decides to seduce, and he. <laughs> it's pretty sexy. He spent most of the time wearing this like gray leather jacket with a blood red scarf. But now he's in this rather open-necked... You, you find it man funny, of leisure. I didn't... Somehow, I didn't... Whatever he was wearing did not stick into my head. I think I was too concentrated on Amanda Bierce's hair. Well, it's like he's trying to blend. Mm. In any case... In any case, the, um, the music that's playing that I hope you'll insert here is pretty sexy. Meanwhile, Peter Vincent gets a, a visit from Evil Eddie. And if he didn't believe in vampires before, he certainly does now, because he's got one in his apartment. And if we remember the scenes of Peter Vincent describing how much of a fearless vampire killer he is, he talks about how he's fought them in all forms. Bats, wolves... And he gets a wolf in Evil Ed. Not yet, he doesn't. Oh, that's not where we're at? In the apartment, he just takes, like, a prop cross and burns it into oh, his forehead. Oh, yes, right. We're not to that scene yet. And but Evil later, Ed is happens. like, how could you? The master will be displeased. And it's like, this guy's been a vampire for, like, 20 minutes. Right. Which is probably the only way that the cowardly Peter Vincent could really manage to fight him. Of course. It's like... I fought a vampire who has been a vampire like less times than it takes to thaw me love. Mm -hmm. And all this is leading to a big showdown. 
which is Charlie, the boy next door, and Peter Vincent, the fraud vampire killer, now turned real vampire killer, as he gains self-respect by going into a dangerous, dangerous situation. Not the front door. Let's go around the back and sneak in. And then they go in through the front door. Roddy McDowell is so, so good. He does run away, though, Mm -hmm. at one point to go next door to, to, like, find help after his cross doesn't work. But unfortunately, next door, it's round two with Evil Eddie, who really chews up the scenery when he's like, Mrs. Brewster isn't home. But she left a note. Dinner's in the oven. Oh, my God. Ridiculous. <laughs> Eddie turns into a wolf, and again, he's a brand new vampire, which is how he manages to get himself staked with a piece of banister. It's a beautiful moment that there's this oh. like slow motion dog running down the hallway. It's kind of terrifying. Then you get the scene, which takes a while, really takes its time. The wolf slowly turns back into Eddie, and for a while, he's like a wolf thing. Yeah. But he's an injured wolf thing, so there's all these dog noises. It's just like, uh, it's Arr. awful. It is. And Peter Vincent watching him become a boy again, which I watched this, you know, he's supposed to be like 17. He was played by someone who was like 23. I watched this when I was like nine. So in my perspective, he was like a man going down in battle. So it's like, yeah, well, you're a man. Now I watch him. He's a kid. He's a boy. Yeah. Yeah. And Peter Vincent is watching this boy who he met as a boy who came to him for help watching him just expire on the floor and the boys crying and Peter Vincent's crying. And it's like a man in battle crying over the man he just shot. Yeah. Cause we're not all just action heroes. who are just like, bam, 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 bam. You're hit. You're bleeding, man. I ain't got time to bleed. It's a crazy human moment, which then carries us emotionally through the next 20 minutes of just vampire insanity yes. and, you know, puppet bats, you might say. Special effects, flying through the room. And we should talk about the fact that Tom Holland was able to get the crew who had just finished doing Ghostbusters. Yes. And as he describes it, they had kind of worked the kinks out and learned a lot on this huge budget. And so therefore kind of knew how to take it down to a smaller budget and do things really more efficiently and do things a little better in his movie. And the special effects are really great. And ugly, ugly vampires, which I really appreciate. We're in an age of pretty vampires right now. We are. We are. Which is why, by the way, like briefly, I'll mention that I in that Entertainment Weekly comparison I was reading that mm-hmm. was kind of a review of the new one in comparison to the old Fright Night, talking about how they were really glad that even just performance-wise, not necessarily the ugliness of the transformed vampire, but just performance-wise that Jerry was really predatory and a guy who deserved to get staked, damn it. Because, you know, we need our monsters to be monsters. And he yeah. was expressing gladness that that was the case again in, in the new Fright Night. Because Jerry was not a mopey vampire in either version. No. Yeah. He had some swag. And when things get bad, they get really bad. Show me how much you love me, Amy. Kill them. <sighs> Both. 
I, I posted a, a picture of Amy as the vampire on our Instagram mm-hmm. uh, with that giant, famous Fright Night smile, vampire mouth that looks like a shark's mouth that's on yes. the movie poster. I wanted to post something about Fright Night, and I found that picture, and I was like, I'm posting this. I was just imagining what I would do if I was scrolling on my newsfeed and that came up. And I don't care how many times I've seen it. Every time I see it, I'd go, ooh. Yeah. And I was hoping to do that you're expecting, for some people. You know through the, like, the language of film, it's going to be a reveal. And you're expecting it's going to reveal like two sharp teeth. Yes. And instead, it's just like 20 sharp teeth. It's so disgusting and terrifying. And meanwhile, Amy has been turned. At first, I was like, oh, I guess she likes to make it on the floor. But then again, Jerry probably doesn't have a bed. He's got a coffin. <laughs> so he just puts her on a nice rug, puts in a cassette tape of some uh, sexy music. Mm-hmm. If you're into saxophones oh, and sure. the electric guitar. Who isn't? He's also put her in a dress, which I'd like to uh, look at the remake for a moment with Miss Imogen Poots uh-huh. as Amy. Who... They do not start her as plain to no. work up to sexy. They do not. They just start her at sexy and leave her there. Mm-hmm. But her final outfit is this, um, well, she's got like pants and everything, but this like really billowy shirt. Mm-hmm. So later she can be in what's basically a short white dress. And it looks good as like a vampire in a, in a white dress. It's a nice image. Mm-hmm. But it would have been hard to believe that Con Farrell just keeps a dress in her size around his house. Right. Which is what we get in the original Fright Night, which is he brings Amy. <laughs> he brings Amy home, and he's like, oh, what are you, about a three? Here, put this on. You can always be counted upon to deconstruct the course of events, whereas I didn't even question the Amy dress in the original Fright Night. I was like, oh, yeah, she's in a nice dress. I didn't even think about how she got it. Well, he deals in, in, in antiques. I mean, well, there you go. Look, <laughs> see? You've solved it for yourself. So yes, so now Amy is turning into a vampire. And by the way, Amanda Bierce wore a breastplate, like a chest plate, with yeah. bigger boobies. That's something that happens when you become a vampire. That apparently she took a couple years ago onto the horror convention circuit and encouraged people to touch them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty funny. That was part of her transformation. Her hair got longer, her boobs got bigger, and she got a mouthful of sharp teeth. Yes. And now the clock's running. They've got till dawn to kill Jerry or else she'll stay a vampire forever. Mm -hmm. And with that one, they just say, well, that's what's in the movies. And the movies have been right so far. And you're like, I buy that. Yeah. All right. So they've got till dawn. They come up against Billy. It's still unknown what Billy was. Sort of like a half vampire, kind of a daywalker, kind of a ghoul. Yeah. Because when they shoot him, that doesn't stop him. He just shows up again with like a bullet in his head. Yeah. Which is pretty creepy. And we haven't talked a lot about Billy, and I know he's not the main character. But when I watched it with you, we noticed how 80s he was with that sort of like fuzzy, spiky hair. Mm-hmm. And the look he had was just a good look for comedians of the day. And, yeah. and that actor had been in the Groundlings. And I hadn't really seen him since. And I'm like, probably just couldn't hack the 90s. He's so 80s. He's so 80s. I looked him up. He's a producer on According to Jim. Oh. So he's doing fine. He's doing all right. He also won that role by bringing something different to the table than the other actors because the scene he auditioned with, I guess, was the scene with the cop when um, Charlie brings over the cop and he's kind of making light of it and joking with the cop. And kind of like shakes it. like, 
Yeah, Charlie. And that's not the way that scene What's in the basement? was written. Or at least all the other actors who were auditioning were doing it a little bit more seriously. And he thought, hey, if I'm trying to throw this guy off the scent, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it funny. And yeah, so he's a little hard to kill. They didn't manage to kill him until they staked his heart. And then he just like fell apart in like green goo and sand. That's pretty gross and yeah. weird. So then it's uh, time to take on Jerry. In, the, in here is when they enter his house. And he's like, welcome to Fright Night. For real. On paper, it probably wasn't much, but man, they made a meal out of it, yes, as they did. say. Uh, he turns into a bat. They fight like the bat thing. That looks really good. You can kind of see wires during one shot, but whatever. I still take it over a lot of the CGI in the remake. I know it's 3D. We, we watched it in 3D. Mm -hmm. And man, when that digital blood comes right at you, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But watching it 2D, it doesn't really hold up. I, in fact, forgot that we had watched it in 3D until there was one moment in the movie when I was re-watching it recently where the blood just like sprayed really far towards the camera. And I was like, oh, yeah, this was in 3D. Yeah. Meh. Eh. Yeah. So, let's just say that uh, Charlie the Boy Next Door and the fake fearless vampire killer is now an actual fearless vampire killer. And uh, Jerry blows up. He becomes like, like a bat thing. One of the stages of that was actually a rejected Ghostbusters librarian mm -hmm. that was considered too scary for a PG movie. So they then put him in Fright Night not long after. I love it. Thank you, Ghostbusters, again. Yes. You've given us many gifts. Then somehow all these activities have gotten Peter Vincent his job back. Doesn't quite add up. No. Nope. I think in the book it says that the fans demanded it. So really, if he just sat at home and done nothing, he would have been back <laughs> on the air. Maybe, Anyways, maybe I'll imagine for myself that with his newfound self-confidence... He went back and demanded his job. He demanded his job. That makes good sense. Good like, I shall not go down arc. without a fight. It's like, you, sir. I'm the fearless vampire killer. I have stepped into evil. And you are a... TV station manager. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is a good explanation. That's what happened in my world. Good. Ladies and gentlemen, Fright Night Theater. This is Peter Vincent. Back once more with you as host of Fright Night. I thought I'd let the vampires rest for a little while. Right, Charlie. Remember how I told you that there was a time when horror movies could almost be like legends in the sense that if you didn't catch it in its entirety on TV, you had to rely on other kids who had? Yes. I missed the very ending for whatever reason. It was bedtime. I had to go brush my teeth. I don't know. And so I missed the very ending. So I had to go to like somebody else. And they're like, oh, okay, well, what happens is Evil Eddie is living in the vampire's old house. And he's like watching... Brewster through the window and you can see his red eyes and, and you can hear him laughing. And, mm -hmm. and that was the ending I got, which by the way, gave me visions of evil Ed just skulking around this big empty house, unable to go home because he's a vampire. In, in my head, there was just days and days of loneliness going out and like eating possums or something. And then going back in watching his friend Brewster across the way and just feeling sad. Um, the movie didn't go that far. Yeah. What you do get, though, is a pair of glowing red eyes, which Charlie thinks he sees, 
as just yet another thing to distract him from inevitable sex. And then goes, nah, it was nothing. <laughs> and then you get to hear the final line, which is almost a catchphrase by this point in the movie, which is Evil Eddie going... <laughs> journey here for this podcast a nice 1985 vampire movie done in a time of slashers as the movie itself points out but managed to be um a bit of a throwback and hold itself head and shoulders above much of what was being offered in the genre so good for it but personally good for us for getting to enjoy a, a movie with not only scares but heart and humor and available anytime you want to watch it it's fright night and if you want to watch it with Originally pirate commentaries, you can find those online. Actually, you can find them through Icons of Fright. Who Which win- is a website, uh, I believe, started by my friend Rob. Rob well, Galuzzo. Well, yeah. good on you, Rob. And cool. I like when a DVD didn't have special features to their liking. They just went out and made their own. Also, if you want to reach us, do it at boysandghouls at gmail. For some fun... You can check us out on Pinterest or Tumblr or Instagram or, of course, Twitter at Boys and Ghouls. As long as we're plugging things, two things. We just had some pretty great photos taken of us. Yeah. Which will now be our sort of face of social media. Mm-hmm. All taken by Ricky Middlesworth in a hours-long photo session. The mm-hmm. longest I've ever had dedicated to taking pictures of me. Yeah. Like, you've had headshots. Uh-huh. I, I never have. I never had a photographer, like, light me and then adjust the lights. Mm-hmm. And then adjust it again. Yeah. And then take a picture and then adjust it again. Was that fun for you? It, it was quite an experience. Yeah. Um, having that much attention paid to my looks was a, a rare experience for me. Turned out well. Turned out great. Yeah. There's two where I look quite menacing and one where I'm doing the classic monster carry and Cat who... Was beautiful. Oh, thank you. It looked very much like uh, I said Naomi Watts in uh, in King Kong. If you're wondering who took the picture, Ricky Middlesworth. Yeah, go to rickymiddlesworth.com and you can see a lot more of his work or follow him on Instagram. He shoots a lot of different celebrities and people, models, all kinds of people. And sometimes the aesthetic is, you know, whatever that client needs. But his wheelhouse, and I think why our pictures turned out so well, is um, he loves things that are a little dark and edgy and spooky and stormy. And that's really what he does best. And so, you know, if if you like that sort of thing, you know, he's done some really amazing photographs. You should really, really go follow him and check out his website. done a pictorial based around Death Becomes Her. Yeah. Which, for the last episode that we did... I went looking for pictures of Death Becomes Her just on my own. And, and you ran across his pictures. I, well, I ran across his pictures not knowing it was him. Yeah. Later, when we wound up on his website, 
I was going through it and being like, ah, I appear to be in good company. Let's see what else is on this website. And I found the pictures I had seen like just like two weeks earlier and been like, oh, those are neat. Hmm. Right. Yeah. You, uh, did you know when you first saw them that they were drag queens? For a moment, I thought it was just Goldie Hawn and uh, Meryl Streep. But then I was like, something's not right. Because they're men. <laughs> well, or something's not right because they're not them. I mean, yeah. You know. Well, it was one of those just like you do an image search and then you're like, hey, that's no, that's not. What is that? And then you double click and you're like, aha, those are gents. Two of my favorite drag queens. And another plug for something that's not us. One of our fans reached out to us for a little feedback on a podcast he was starting. Alexi Morales sent us a uh, demo. I guess, mm -hmm. of episode one of his podcast, Be Kind Rewind, in that he and his co-host talk about It Follows. And since then, they've been a lot more prolific than us. Oh, yeah. Uh, they've already got uh, five episodes out. Looks like they're humming right along. And if you like the format of two friends discussing movies. Mm. I can't imagine why you'd like that. Yeah. But I love that. I love that he branched out and decided to do that. I have no idea if, if he necessarily like did that inspired by stuff he liked and if we had anything to perhaps do we just seem more approachable maybe but at any rate it's it's doing this for three plus years has been so much fun for me and such a great supplement to my life and it's forcing me to educate myself on the stuff that i care about so on if, sequels to reboots yeah so if, if alexi is getting that experience because he's venturing out then in any way inspired by us you think just you know, Our even if it was done. just like, hey, I listened to yours. That seems like fun. I'd like to do that. I mean, for whatever that's worth, I'm very glad when anyone decides to do it. Because, you know, people talk about doing stuff like that all the time. Or you can just start. Yeah. So, you've done it. Well done. Well done, you. And I'm sure he will surpass our 39 episodes in no time. <laughs> yeah. And that draws to a close this episode 39 of Boys and Ghouls. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope you were all as big a fan of Fright Night as we are, if not going into it, maybe uh, coming out of it. And, uh, Kat, until next time. Beware the moon. Beware the moon.